Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. Today, Blake Adams, the VP of Marketing at Florence Healthcare joins me. Now, often we have CMOs and VPs of really large companies, but this is one of those rocket ship stories. This is a company that's growing, and perhaps it's because of the world we're in where we know the importance of clinical trials today or the reality of the importance of getting those processes to happen faster, but people are investing in technology to be more efficient. And in any business, whether you're a marketer or whether you're trying to solve for your buyer, if you can make things easier, that's what this company does. Now, what's really interesting about Blake's background is he joined this company at its early stages, joined as a marketing manager. And before you know it, three, four years later, he's the VP. He's sitting in on those board meetings. He's having to adapt in terms of what his role is and how he brings people onto his team. We chat about that and some of the challenges of continuing to maintain that rocket ship growth as money starts to be less of an object, but more the predictability of where you do with that money at true scale. This is a great episode. Here's my chat with Blake. Blake, I am very excited for us to be chatting today. Thanks for stopping in. I want to hit on this expedited path to VP that you've created for yourself slash been created by Florence Healthcare. Tell us a little bit first about what Florence Healthcare does. Yeah, Randy, great to connect with you today and really excited to be on your uh podcast and, and have this conversation. Florence is a company that's right at six years old. Uh, I joined in in mid 2017. So it's been a really cool journey to see that growth from a team of around eight full-time employees to now crossing a hundred. And Florence really focuses on solving workflows in clinical research and clinical trials. So when you think about the, the recent COVID studies that were happening, they were working with trial sites around the globe. Florence powers the workflows that enable those kind of operations. We work with a little over 8,500 study sites globally in 35 plus countries and some of the largest pharmaceutical medical device companies in the world. Amazing. I, I know one of them happens to be a company called Pfizer, which some of us are very familiar with. <laughs> we'll maybe touch more on that part of it. But I, I think the interesting part of your career, and this this doesn't happen all the time, is that opportunity to see your growth accelerated. And you know, when you look back on the last three, four years at Florence, do you look at this as things that you've done or the company have done? How do you determine what is in your control? Yeah, you know, I think it's a mix of both, Randy. It's hard to it's hard to imagine having the success that I've had at any other company. Uh, so I'll put it that way first. And uh, my journey has been really unique over the last decade or so in marketing, bouncing from you know working in college athletics to consulting NGOs to working in healthcare spaces to then being in the SaaS space. And what's been unique at Florence is that our CEO really believes a in marketing and is and is behind marketing and gets marketing from the ground roots up level of it's not just the demand gen function although we do that well but it's really marketing as a whole and so having his trust in in myself and our organization has really helped me to experiment and grow a lot of what I'm 
trying and testing to take that next step up. And I got some great feedback from a mentor of mine who's a CMO. And he said, Blake, always be asking, you know, your CEO, not what are you doing today that's not good, but if I had that next role, what would I be doing today that would not be good in that next role? And that's really helped my CEO to think about what should I be doing to acquire that next role or to move up in the company and also helps me think about positioning myself in that way. And and for everyone listening in, trying to figure out what is this rocket ship that Blake has been on, you joined in 2017, as you said, and you were a senior marketing manager. And it is not every day that you get to move up that quickly. In the case of Lawrence, as you said, I think you were the seventh employee. There are now 100 people and a marketing team of six. So you've had to go from being that individual contributor to that strategist. What's been the biggest challenge for you in making that shift? You know, I think that the hardest challenge, and probably for any marketer, is moving from leading of a place of expertise to to leading of a place of connecting dots for your team. And I think that's been the the biggest challenge is, is not being the expert. You know, we're hiring a community marketing manager as an example and a, and a product-led growth marketing, things I've not really personally done before now. And so being able to not lead from a place of let me teach you the technical skills, but let me connect the dots for you within the organization into the strategy has been the hardest shift to make. And, and our one of our board members put it a great way, and I love the way she said this, was Blake, you, you've gone from you know being the person that's actually cooking the soup to then being the person that's buying the ingredients to cook the soup. And now you just kind of don't even know where the ingredients are being bought. And you've got to be okay with not knowing how the soup is being made, but you know the final product of the soup. So I think that's been the biggest challenge, Randy, over the last three, three four years is just growing into that phase of, uh, of being a generalist within the company context, not just the marketing context. I love that analogy, the idea of, of tasting that final product, but not you know, trusting your team ultimately to, to put it together. When, when you look at your own personal path again, and this idea of being able to make that jump, what was maybe that one superpower that you feel you had to have that trust with the CEO to say, Blake, you're the right guy? Because my understanding is there wasn't just you when they said, okay, we're going to make you director and we're going to make you VP, but you know, you stood out obviously from a team. What was that superpower that stood out? Yeah, you know, Randy, I think it's that marketing is a tool that I use to drive business value. And so for me, I love marketing and, you know, I plan to be a marketer for a while, but what I really am passionate about is thinking about business strategy. I love numbers. I love finance. I love operations. I love thinking about all those other areas. And so for me, it's that I was able to constantly bring marketing into the conversation at the board level, even from day one, right when we were a team of seven to show up to some of those small board meetings with our two seed investors and our, and our CEO and CTO, our founders, and be able to talk about how marketing is driving business strategy. That to me has been the superpower is, is being able to pull out of marketing and look at how it fits into the overall structure. How do we influence customer experience? How do we influence customer life cycle? Um, and how do we drive revenue, et cetera? So we talked a little bit about this idea of you making a jump in your focus. And you know, earlier you gave that great analogy of cooking the soup. How did you find a way to keep the respect of your team, but alter your role between them going from being a peer, if you will, as a manager to eventually a director and now a VP. How has that 
change the type of relationships you have with your team members? Yeah, you know, we've not felt the pressure so much yet about in that change process, right? It's still a really familiar atmosphere. We're still really close with each other. Florence has built a, an awesome culture where, you know, we have first Fridays once a month where the team, especially pre-COVID, goes and plants trees together. And we did do a socially distanced version of that on Saturday. But I, I foresee happening as we continue to grow and as my career grows is my time does become less in the weeds of marketing and more time really focusing on the strategic side of marketing. So I've been able to bridge that that divide pretty well over the last couple of years. And I think being in the trenches with the team has helped to endear the team to, to the leadership of, of marketing within the company. Now, what that means a year from now, Randy, I think is interesting to think about because we are in a really high growth season at Florence. We've got some cool things happening behind the scenes. And, you know, ask me that question again, Randy, in a year, and it may be a completely different answer. But I think so far it's been, you know, being able to balance being a strategist with also hopping into the weeds and, and really working with them to, you know, edit a, a white paper late into the night on a Tuesday if I need to and uh, deliver it to them on Wednesday. So being able to jump in and help out where needed. Absolutely. Without a doubt, the ability, as you put it, to, to jump into the weeds sometimes is how we earn the respect of our team without a question. How do you leverage, maybe just the last question before we, we jump in, is leveraging this board relationship that you've spoken about a couple of times. And, and, and how has that allowed you to make this jump in terms of having those mentors, having those advisors, and really using them to complement areas that, that may be overwhelming? Yeah, for sure. You know, I think for me, it's it's been learning how to talk to a board, right? So, so the expectation of what the board wants to hear is vastly different than even what your senior leadership team wants to hear or what the individuals on your marketing team want to hear. And so helping them help me understand what they want to see from a, a, you know, a VP of marketing and kind of that growth trajectory there has been really vital. I think we've been lucky at Florence that our board through series A and B investments, they've been really on the ground people with us and, and they've helped us to think about marketing in context of the company. So they don't come to me and I love this about our board. You know, there's not that how many MQLs did you generate this week and how many leads are you generating and what's the conversion rates? Yes, we know all of that and we track all that with a fine tooth comb because I'm a data nerd. But what they're really talking about is how is marketing thinking about the future, right? And I talked about community a minute ago, Randy. When you think about community, there's probably not going, going to be immediate ROI of, of building community and focus on community. But the board has enough faith and trust because we have built programs that are measurable, demand gen, lead gen, inbound acquisition, which I know we'll talk about customer lifecycle in a minute. But because we've been successful in sharing that data and building programs that work, there's now a level of faith in, yeah, go build other things Blake you think is going to work and, and let's you know measure it two years from now and they're okay with that kind of growth. So That's exciting. No, and, and you're given a great transition to what we're going to hit on after the break, which is how do you continue to scale this rocket ship given the promise of what the numbers are showing? We'll, we'll dig into that more with Blake right after this break on The Marketer's Journey. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. 
companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. One of the things I think we're all loving about Blake is this balance between being humble and being confident. And that's something that you need at any stage of a company, but especially as you're trying to rise. Now, people don't want that cockiness, but they also want you to be able to step up, jump into a room. And as Blake talks about this idea of getting in front of the board, getting in front of the execs, talking through the problems and showing the data, that's how you are awarded new opportunities. When you show you can contribute, now, Blake's story is amazing going from manager to VP and not having that feeling where they've got to go and find someone who can take them to the next level. It's very possible to grow with a high growth company as long as you are aware where your strengths are and where you need the support. And I think that's one thing we're hearing from Blake in this episode is don't be scared to ask for support. So Blake, I, I mean, it's no surprise when you look at some of the efficiencies in the business that you've been able to jump into this VP of marketing role. I mean, definitely trust the team that's accomplishing these amazing results. One of them that stood out to me is an LTV to CAC ratio of seven to one. And for those listening in and don't know what that means, we're talking about the relationship between a lifetime value of a customer and what it costs to acquire. And I mean, great numbers are three to one, four to one. I mean, four to one, they start saying, you got to start spending money. What is your board saying to you with a seven to one LTV to CAC ratio? I mean, that would suggest like, go borrow every dollar you can find. <laughs> no, Randy, you're exactly right. Uh, you know, we've been lucky. I'm an incremental marketing spend person, which for where we were as a company two years ago was exactly what we needed, right? We were very, bootstrap is maybe too too loose of a term, but we were kind of in that mode of let's spend as we grow. And so that's my background as an incremental, right? Stay at the Red Roof Inn when we go to conferences and, and hope that uh, hope that we're okay in the morning. And now that we are entering this next phase of growth, that is exactly what we're experiencing is balancing that incremental spend with what if we quadrupled spend, what would happen, right? And I think that's where my job now spends a lot of time thinking is more what's the upper limits and how do we get there faster than we are on an incremental spend plateau or incremental spend stair step. So, and, and you raise a good good question. I mean, when, when we are very budget-minded, when we're staying at Red Roof Inn, good on you for, for you know, respecting <laughs> the dollar, when we do that, it's sometimes hard to know what the elasticity of our spend might look like if we double it tomorrow. How do you make some of those incremental spends before going and saying, great, let's go raise another $20 million yeah. and you know, hope that we continue to see this efficiency? For us, Randy, I'm a data person, right? So I love data. I love numbers. I love measurements. And we've really been focused from day one of, of joining Florence, we measure everything, right? So so we may not report on everything outside of our team, but we've been very diligent of measuring 
the attribution of every penny spent across channels. And now that we are entering this new phase of growth, being able to actually start leveraging that data and say, all right, we we know down to you know a pretty close amount what ads are working, where we need to invest more. And so that's the area to me that data eases my mind a bit and powers that growth. And also it gets trust from the board, right? To go ask for 60 or 90 or $100,000 to invest in a platform for ABM, right? That Those kind of things can happen because we experiment. And I'll use ABM as a great example. We're really going gung-ho on a ABX, ABM right now. And the way we were able to get a lot of buy-in there is by experimenting with it in small-scale over the last couple quarters in very manual ways. It was very time intensive. My team had to, you know, create landing pages and, and move content around on pages and create customized ads one-to-one basis. But we saw work, right? We had 10 target accounts we were we were shooting for. We've had three of those convert. And so those numbers speak for themselves. And wow, there's value here if we can scale this program. And so experimenting, being willing to get your hands dirty and and try things out, and then also having the data to back up making bigger investments is where I spend a lot of my time thinking. So first off, I, I know a company that does those those landing pages for <laughs> if you need a referral. But the the idea of making this transition of strategy is, is often a hard one. I mean, you, your company has got into an amazing run rate of revenue. I know we're not going to talk about those levels, but it's it's impressive. Like, I think I saw somewhere somewhere close to like 900% growth over the last three years. It's fantastic that that type of growth that you've seen. How do you get the team on side with moving over from what worked, being inbound for the most part is my understanding, to ABM? Is that, for you, has that been hiring ABM dedicated resources and letting the rest of the team focus? Or how do you take that, how do you inject that ABM mindset in? Yeah, you know, it's hiring experts has been the big thing that we are doing right now, right? We we are hiring people who are really specialists in what they do. ABM is is one of those areas. We play in a very niche market, right? We we work with clinical research sites and clinical research sponsors and we don't plan, you know, of really playing outside of that space because there's a lot of runway there. But it's also a very finite market. There's you know, 500 major pharma companies in the world that would benefit from one of our product solutions. And so it really does require thinking about that account at an individual level versus just a spray and pray approach, right? Of let's put something out there and hope that 10,000 accounts come in the door. There's just not that many that exist. And so working in a very finite market, and then also thinking about how our company evolves, you know, three years ago, Randy, 100% of our people, their first exposure to Florence was either through a marketing touch or a sales touch. And now we're starting to invite users and accounts in via working with organizations like Pfizer mentioned earlier, where they bring with them a lot of new potential research sites that could be a part of the Florence network. And so we've got to think about, wow, what's the experience for somebody who their first touch was not a webinar or was not a trade show or was not a content experience, but their first touch is actually being on our platform. And then the challenging part of that, Randy, where account base comes in is most of the time, the people on our platform aren't really the decision makers because they are just users of the tool. And so we've got to use an ABM strategy to touch those other decision makers within an organization. And that's really how the the change has happened is, you know, it's, it's the flywheel, right, of powering that flywheel is really where we are. And so it's showing the value of that to the team and helping them understand, wow, this is a huge potential upside 
it's going to require a lot of work. And then on the flip side, hiring those specialists and investing in technologies uh, is is a, a other area that we're really spending a lot of time. That's really interesting. I'm just curious. I mean, there's no right answer to the following, maybe more of a discussion, but you mentioned the role of a community individual on the team. But when you describe this Pfizer instance where you go and you land the account and now you have the opportunity to expand, and another term we hear all the time of land and expand, mm-hmm. is that to be led by a ABM marketer, a growth team, or is that more of a customer marketing function in terms of how you're thinking about building the team going forward. I don't even know it at, at a seven person marketing team if you have a customer marketer as of yet. So that has been the eternal one to hire at Florence, uh, Randy, has been a customer marketing that keeps getting pushed every time we come up with a new need. But you know, we we do believe in in that land and expand. And it's it really is an ABM approach because what happens is and I'll use an academic medical center as an example, we will be the platform of choice for their cancer center, for instance. One in three cancer doctors in the world are on our platform. And so we may be the the solution of choice for a cancer center. Well, the buying committee for the cardiovascular disease area is a completely different buying committee. And so we want to leverage the success we've had with that uh, with the oncology group to then convert the cardio cardiovascular group. And that requires a true ABM approach because yes, we're telling customer so- stories, but the expansion doesn't happen because they really like us. And now they're just going to roll us into more studies. It really is a different buying committee, even within these same accounts. Right. You, you may almost be better showing them a case study of someone else from cardiovascular versus the oncology group that's using them inside. You're of exactly their- right. You know, there's benefits and we hear it all the time of, yeah, another department in our company was using you all and they really liked it. And so there is that referral nature of it, but absolutely a cardiologist, you know, respecting the the case study of another cardiologist is probably more likely to drive land and expand deals for us. Again, there's no right answer here. I'm, I'm just thinking, I mean, in that case, as you said earlier, all these content, all these referrals, you got to put in front of them. You almost have to aggregate the story for them. Look, we've got one asset from someone on your team. We've got another from someone in your field. You know, you, you get surrounded with all the the proof points needed along that buyer journey. Yeah, absolutely. It's been an interesting journey because the customer lifecycle, four years ago, what we were doing was brand new. It was a new category. And what was happening is, and Randy, I, I could go for an hour on this and I won't, but the way research typically works is they have rooms and rooms and rooms full of paper binders. And this is the way it was until literally four years ago is, you know, somebody hops on an airplane four times a month. They visit Emory University here in Atlanta for every single study that's being operated. When we started showing up, digitizing that, the feedback was, whoa, I'm never moving off paper. That is scary. And this is 2018, right? I'm not moving off paper. That's scary. I like my my ink signature, you know, and all these things. Well, now we've gotten through that. And so case studies are working. But now we're entering the same type of category creation with our new products, which are focused on remotely connecting research sponsors and research sites. Again, historically, the way that worked pre-COVID was an organization like Pfizer would put somebody on an airplane four times a month to go visit Emory and all their study sites globally. COVID happened. That couldn't happen anymore. They needed remote connectivity. Hey, here's Florence. And now it's about telling that story and and how that becomes a long-term benefit for them, not just when they can't travel on airplanes anymore, but hey, this is a new paradigm shift. Very interesting. Very interesting. It, you know, it sounds like things are changing quick and uh, you know, I give you tons of credit, Blake, because you keep adapting in your role and your strategy 
uh, and you're, you're thinking ahead. You got to get that customer marketer in there, though. I'll tell you that. Now, we'll take a quick break here. We're going to keep Blake around for one more quick question on his journey right after this short message. So I kidded in that segment a bit with Blake at the idea that uh, I know a company that can help on this front. And that is what Uberflip was really built to do. I think a lot of us these days understand that ABM, or as he said, ABX, the idea of the experience altogether is something that doesn't start and end with identifying the accounts. We need to send people to an experience that shows that we actually can relate to them. We can send them to the right piece of content. And this is something that I see so many marketers do well with content these days, is not just think of content that is something that lives at the top of the funnel, is something that's purely on their website, but actually something that we're directing people to. People are looking to do research and they wanna do so on their own schedule. If we can make this easier, if we can put the right content in front of them at the right time, it feels natural to them, but we're guiding them. We're giving them the assets they need versus making them look for a needle in a haystack. That's exactly what you hear Blake is doing. The question is, how do you do this at scale? So Blake, you're, you're in this fun growth stage we've talked about. And one of my advisors once told me that at the stage you're at, you're almost reinventing the company every nine months. So I'm sure it's nonstop, but how do you stop? How, how do you take time for yourself? Uh, I know you got family. How do you make that balance work? Yeah, you know, four years ago, had you asked me that, I said, uh, I don't stop. But then we had a, a baby and now we've got a four-year-old and a two-year-old. So they forced me to stop in the afternoon. You know, I think that for me, it's it's not so much work-life balance, which I think gets overplayed, but it's really that ebb and flow between work and life where right now we're in a really busy season at Florence. And so the next couple of weeks are just going to be you know, hammering it out on a late into the night days. But then balancing that with my family and, and our going on a on a or we're going to attempt to do a trip to Disney in the first week of April. So kind of balancing those things of saying, yeah, we're going to go fully in on family. We're going to go fully in on work, I think has been key to that success. And then again, a four and a half year old and a two and a half year old, they force you to take breaks pretty often. So. Amazing. Well, that's great. And, and I'm glad that we're getting back to a normal in which, you know, a four year old and two year old can experience Disney world. Uh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Nothing more right than that. Uh, <laughs> Blake, this has been a ton of fun. I, I thank you for sharing about the journey you're on, how accelerated it's been. Uh, I think if you've listened to past episodes, you'll know some people only get to that VP or CMO level much later in their career, but there's a different path for everyone. I'm sure yours is taking its own. And if you're listening in on to this for the first time, check out the others and hopefully one day you'll share yours here. This has been The Marketer's Journey. You've been listening to The Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, at uberflip.com slash podcast, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.